Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Outbreak Podcast, an outlet for discussing creativity and the great beyond. We also discuss everything from gaming to film to the dark and dreary corners of the internet. I am your host on this wild ride, William Key. Welcome to 2023 and a very special episode today. Guys, I've been talking about this for the past like month. I think I've been talking about it for the past like half a year, uh, the road to 100. And guess what, guys? We're finally here. And big surprise. It's sort of like a normal Q&A style episode mixed with a lot of my own personal what I've been watching, reading, whatever. I know, I know. I felt like I, in my head, I was leading up to this moment thinking to myself, I wanted to do something big. I wanted to do something grandiose. It's episode 100. But then I thought like, you know, in the, in the words of me and the way I've sort of run this show for the past, it'll be three years next month, actually. I thought to myself, why not just do the episode the way you want to do it? Don't play it up as this big thing. You know what I mean? It is a big deal. It is a big deal. You know what? Like I can pat myself on the back for this one. I've been patting myself on the back. I'd say on every episode, the closer I got to this, I knew the goal was well within reach. Uh, I had put it off. I was originally going to record this last week, but I put it off because, (laughs) let's be honest, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do for this episode. And so when I finally got everything together, like the list of my life updates from the past month, I guess, since I've been off, as well as all the games, movies, television, and then I started reaching out to the community and I said, listen, guys, episode 100, this is your chance. Ask me anything. It's like a Reddit AMA here. I want to know try to pull the deepest, darkest secrets out of my brain so I can spew it over the internet for episode 100. Maybe this will be the one I get canceled. Who knows? It's not going to be that bad. It's really not going to be that bad. But I do want to take a quick thank you, not only to the community of the people who sent me in questions for this episode, but I just want to thank you who is listening right now, because I feel like I wouldn't have continued to do this if it wasn't for somebody on the other end listening. So anybody who has ever reached out to me, ever shown interest in either wanting to take part on the podcast, uh, send in any questions, engage in communications about the show, or about the topics such as video games, movies, television, weird stuff, whatever gets covered. Going back three years, I've, I've kind of bounced around communities and trying to find my footing. And it's still a work in progress. You know, I think one of my goals has always been to build a community of my own. And here's the thing. One of the things that kind of has like held me back from that is my own issues with communication. And that being that I am not the best when it comes to social media. But here's the thing. We're in a new year. It's 2023, episode 100. We got another road ahead as we're as we're going. There's like we're approaching a fork in the road, a crossroad, and and this is where things could go. I could I could I could call it quits here and say, listen, I hit my mark and I'm done. But that's not the way I'm going to go. So I'm already xing off that road here. Um, So I see I see a number of different options. You know, I can continue trucking along the same way I'm doing it in hopes that you know eventually this podcast is going to continue to grow and it could shape into something completely different. I've had plenty of opportunities along the way to sort of advance this into new avenues. Funny enough, too, actually, and I wanted to mention this, I decided for this particular episode, I wanted to go back and listen to episode one. Now, you guys know that there, because we're at episode 100, there clearly had to be an episode one, a pilot episode. I feel like there's a lot of podcasts that I listen to that cringe at their episode one. I actually thought that my episode one was really good. Um, and here's why. Yes, I know. I'm only three years removed from it. 
the only issue I had was audio quality. And and even then, that got fixed up by like before the 10s. But the thing about my history with podcasting is I, I had already kind of established myself in podcasting. Um, I spoke about this in great detail in episode one. So if you guys actually haven't gone to listen to that episode, feel free to go back and listen uh, because I actually do go over sort of my history in terms of content creation. And we're going to talk a bit more about content creation later in the show. But basically, I already had four years under my belt of podcasting for a different show, uh, two different shows, actually. And so I've been in this I've been in this field for a while, just kind of dipping in and out. Uh, and because I have a background in journalism, film, television, I already sort of had that natural speaking voice. So I felt comfortable coming back on. And it felt like it felt like riding a bike when you haven't ridden a bike in like five years, it, it just kind of comes to you. And I guess the Canadian anecdote for that would be putting on a fresh a pair of skates for the first time in a decade and, and actually going skating and then realizing before the end of the, the skate that, you know, you never truly forgot that your skill and your talent and your ability to remember was always there. That's the Canadian in me making that anecdotal reference right there. But I think we're going to kind of coast ahead because um, like I said, I do want to thank everybody in the community and everybody who has been listening. Uh, I am very, very happy to have met so many amazing people and have spoken to so many amazing people. I, I didn't think I'd get to this point, to be honest. I had no clear intention of what I wanted to do with the show, other than the fact that originally this podcast was going to be some sort of like interview style podcast from what what I gauged from episode one. I I was going to have a segment at the beginning where it was going to be quick news hits, kind of like what I do now where I go into more in-depth conversation about the news. But they were quick news hits, like reads as if I was reading off a script. And then I would go into a interview segment in the second half. And I kind of held that for like the first like three episodes. And then eventually I kind of shifted when I realized that I was, uh, I did not have the ability or I did not have the, the the resources yet to be able to have a solid, you know, over the computer interview with a guest. Uh, this was pre-COVID uh, when I started this podcast. This was also pre-Finn. It was post-marriage, so I, at least I had that under my belt. But like, uh, yeah, Finn hadn't even come into the picture yet. I think when episode one came out, it was February 2020. And it was weeks before I had uh, found out that Sam was pregnant with Finn for the first time. And then the world shut down. And... On everybody shifted online to podcasting. And that's how I started meeting so many communities because Discord just started blowing up. And I ended up falling back into it there, uh, originally meeting up with Josh, formerly of the Mindless Morning Show, who then pulled me into the podcaster community, who I, uh, I still engage with a couple of people from that community to this day. And then eventually um, realizing that you know, my specialty was in games and television, obviously, but I wanted to find more people within that community. You know, I'd always been a fan of four-player podcasts, as I've mentioned many times on the show, uh, but I randomly stumbled upon Sean Capri's podcast, We The Gamer Cast, and, and I told him on his show that I came across a number of guests that he had interviewed of people that I would looked up to uh, in the industry and, and new faces and new voices. And then he was like, if you want to be a guest on the show, you know, reach out to me. And he would say that at the beginning of every episode. And I was like, Oh, and he's Canadian too. So I said, this is my chance to kind of speak to him, uh, get some tips and some tricks from somebody who's been in, in doing it for a long time. But then I realized he had this massive community, uh, his Yumi Capri community, which has now evolved into Carpool Gaming, which he sort of made into this big sort of uh, content creation vehicle. They brought on a number of people to host a number of different shows across a number of different areas of content in the gaming space. 
And that's amazing. I mean, that's something that I would totally love to do. I, and I've watched other people within that community too span off and do their own shows, build their own communities. And I think that's that's so cool. Um, he put it really well on on our last episode that we had spoken to that there's sort of this like podcast, video game podcast, unit, cinematic universe, uh, and that we're all just kind of little pieces of that larger universe. And then when those two characters kind of come together and talk, it's like the crossover, the mini crossovers here and there. So I feel like I am sort of within that umbrella, a uh, smaller part of not only Carpool Gaming, but Save the Game Media with Kevin Ainsworth and over at um, Project X Talk and all those guys. You know, I'm a part of those communities. I was formerly a part of Press YYZ as well. I, I kind of listen to four, four player podcast as well. So I'm a part of a bunch of smaller communities and then also on Twitter, trying to keep in communication with people there. But I'm, I'm looking to continue to grow. And the, the goal is still to put together my own community. And I think the best way to kind of get started with that in 2023 is what I already started doing in the back half of last year, which was inviting more people on for shows and interviewing people and then seeing where that takes me. So I think that I'm at a position now where I can kind of continue to push myself to do that. And I think that's going to be my goal for this year is to just continue to have different types of voices on and see who, who I jive with. I already jive really well with Alex, uh, AKA Sidejester 99, as well as Matt Cariotti from Royal City Games Cast. I already jive really well with those guys, but I would love to continue to, to have them on the show and speak to them and have them on as well. And who knows? Who knows where things go from there? So let's see. I think we're about 10 minutes in. I think we're ready to start going into some of the updates. So as you know, obviously, I took the, sh the time off. I decided not to do an episode 100 at the end of 2022. Saved it for now. So we went through Christmas break, went through New Year's. Um, some big things to, uh, to update you guys on, uh, especially as of last week or this week more recently. The whole family had developed the flu or, and or food poisoning. Um, we thought it was food poisoning. But my daycare provider, who seems to know everything, thinks that we had the flu. Because the way we kind of described it to her sounded like the flu. But I don't know a lot of flus where two people uh, start falling ill at the exact same time after eating the exact same meal and then feel sick literally within half an hour of each other. And then our son, Finn, was probably about three or four hours delayed because he was sleeping. But that seems like a real weird flu. I mean, again, could very well be the flu, but food poisoning also seemed to make more sense in that uh, scenario. So we dealt with that Monday into Tuesday. I took Tuesday off for work and then we thought we were in the clear and then Finn came home today and apparently had thrown up at daycare. And so now he's off for the rest of the week. So who knows, maybe it is a flu or it's just the tail end of whatever bug is kind of traveling within his system, which is kind of unfortunate, uh, but that's just the way it is. I think the biggest news too that came out of Christmas break was that I, I finally did it. I have finally signed on to PlayStation Plus services officially. I am now a official member of the PlayStation Plus community. So if you feel free to add me, I might even add my PSN in the show notes. If you guys want to hook up and you want to uh, play an online game here and there, I can finally play with friends. I can finally communicate with people online. And not to mention, I was able to access a bunch of games that I would have never played had I not had access to PlayStation Plus. And this is where we're going to transition into obviously what I've been playing. Uh, so <laughs> the games, movies, and television side, it's pretty hefty, and that's going to take up the bulk of the show. And the back half is going to be where I'm going to address questions from the community. So let's get started. This is going to be a long list. First off, on the games I played list, most of them, like I said, come from PlayStation Plus. 
first one being Stray, which was one of our the indie darlings of last year uh, that was nominated for Game of the Year. And you put in the perspective of a cat who is kind of walking around this sort of walled city populated by robots, machines, mutant bacteria, and is set out to return to the surface with the help of a drone companion. This is the first game that I am aware of, much like A Dog's Life back on the PlayStation 2, where you get to play as an animal and do all the things that an animal would do. You know, there there was a lot of fun to be had with this game. In fact, there was a lot of moments that I did actually forget that I was playing as a cat. And then I realized that traversal in this game, which, you know, if you were a human, would you wouldn't think anything of it. It'd be easier to tra- traverse around. But everything that you can kind of climb on is accessible for the cat. You know, climbing on uh, beams or climbing on uh, telephone poles or uh, piping along the sides of buildings and, and crawling through boarded up windows and climbing on to kitchen counters, tables, other people. Uh, like there was a lot of things that like accessible as a cat that you wouldn't even think about. But yeah, there were plenty of moments in the game where I forgot I was playing as a cat. Uh, and early on, the gimmick was was hilarious because when I realized it was a cat, I'm like, I'm going to try to do all the cat things. So I was meowing multiple times and got an achievement really quickly for being so talkative. And then I, when I realized that there was a game behind this and a serious game with a, an actual deep, interesting story, then I was like a little more focused on the game. I, I had a lot of fun with it. And I think it was the perfect first outing for me to have on PlayStation Plus. Uh, and it was a game that I've been wanting to play since the summer, since uh, PlayStation Plus had actually launched, relaunched. Uh, the second game that I did end up playing as well was a game that I know that the guys over at Four Player Podcast talked in depth about in 2021. And in fact, it was on many people's game of the year that year. And the game is called Chicory, A Colorful Tale, which is from the indie developer Finji. Uh, this was released back in June of 2021. And the game follows an anthropomorphic dog, which typically if you don't give the character a name it's called pizza but if you um the game and all the characters in the game are named after foods or herbs or something like that just like the main character chicory who is a a bunny is named after i think a type of plant or something Uh, but the dog in this case i actually was asked what was my favorite food at the beginning of the game so i said macaroni and so my my dog was named macaroni throughout the course of the game And so you are given this magical paintbrush, which is used to color the world. And I thought, okay, cool. This is, this is quite the gimmick. You know, um, there's lots of abilities, lots of platforming and lots of puzzles to solve with color. Uh, as soon as I got the ability to be able to just fill the world in with color, uh, it made it so that I didn't have to paint like I was playing Splatoon. But then when you start to sort of follow the story, you realize that there's this deep, you know, there's these deep moments of mental health references throughout this game. And in fact, I want to reference a a positive review from Destructoid that I I found over on Wikipedia that says the themes of the story. If you are the creative type, if you've dealt with self-doubt, the well-intentioned sting of criticism, the frustration of hard work going nowhere, directionlessness in a world that exploits the imaginative, the fact that the best doesn't really exist and good enough is a constantly moving target, then there is a potential that chicory is going to hit hard. And this is really true. And in fact, a lot of the gameplay mechanics and boss fights and stuff like that were representative of certain characters in the world. And even the main character itself, your own character, starting to, A, I guess in one sense of the world, word, lose their grip on reality, uh, but also start to sort of internalize a lot of their own negative thoughts and then 
you know, developed as sort of this dark counterpart that you would then have to fight. Uh, and so painting the world, so to speak, was adding to color to the world was one of those things that was supposed to ward off the dark intrusive thoughts. And the fact that mental health played such a big role in this, it made me pay attention to the story even closer and made me realize that these characters feel like real people. The, in the engagement between Chicory, the main rabbit who basically starts off as like this kind of like asshole-ish character is actually got a lot of inner demons that they are trying to like ward off. Um, and then by them being the original wielder of the brush and just kind of thrusting it upon you and saying, I don't really care anymore. There's actually a much deeper uh, issue. And it's something that they're sort of like internalizing, but then you're putting it back on you, uh, the player character. And the more that you guys sort of build a relationship as the game goes on, as you get better with the brush and learn to be the new magical brush wielder, the more you realize that this checkery person is actually like, is actually a troubled individual who just needs a friend and it is a it is it is kind of a scary parallel to our own reality and mental health because there are different characters throughout the world who exhibit different you know symptoms of mental health and even sort of social anxiety social identity issues and things like that there are certain characters when you do text bubbles throughout the world that they talk different ways. There was a character that was running around you uh, actually talking in sort of like a text texty way, like you would have used to see on old school MSN messenger, like LOL. And then like you are for your, uh, and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this is, it's so weird and so inventive this game. And it's no surprise that it got, it released to universal acclaim. It is a lot of fun. It's one of those games that you could definitely replay years later and discover so much. I, I wanted to stick around and play some more, but I also really wanted to move on and, and try some other games. I think I, I got everything that I needed to out of this game, and it was such a fun story. And and so far, I think it puts it above Stray in the story category, in the character category, because I thought it was a very interesting story. And this moves me on to like the other two games that I've been playing. So I decided to download the Mass Effect Legendary Collection because I never played Mass Effect. I have never played a Bioware game. Like I've never played Dragon Age, I've never played Mass Effect, and so I've obviously over the years I know how how uh, prolific Mass Effect is as a series and how it's received raving reviews and the fact that like your story carries forward into the next two games and you can develop love interests and there's such a heavy emphasis on communication and you know player choices and interaction. I, I was not expecting the amount of character interaction and sort of dialogue choices that you get, especially in this first game. But like, wow, there is a lot of talking. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, while it does kind of give you a pause from like the main game story, you know, I, I was lost for a while and I played a lot of the Citadel missions in like the first maybe two, three hours of the game. Uh, because I was like, how do I get out of here? And then I realized I had to go through CSECT Academy to be able to get back to the Normandy to get on and do other missions. But I'm like, I'm having more fun just kind of unlocking all my side characters because I found most of my side characters through just talking, doing missions on the Citadel. And by the time I went out and started doing more missions again, I already had my full party of six. Oh, well, sorry, five until I found Liara, who I think was on a, a mission off world. And yeah, I guess at this point, I'm 12 hours in. Uh, I feel like I'm at the more than halfway past the main story of the game. 
And like I said, once I complete the story, I don't think I'm going to stick around uh, much in terms of like trying to do all the collectibles because I'm not much of a finishing a game to platinum it type of guy. I try to collect as many trophies as I can along the way and maybe play some post-game stuff and then I move on because I'm kind of in a situation now, obviously, with having a kid that there's not a lot of staying power for games these days, not like there was when I was playing on the PlayStation 2. And I just want to play as much as I can and absorb as much as I can. And, and I have a lot of catching up to do. So I don't really have the time to sort of stick to trying to replay these games and platinum them, get all the trophies. If I can find as many as I can, then that's great. And that, and that, like, that works for me. But, you know, to each their own, right? Like, I'm not knocking anybody who does try to platinum games. Anyways, yes, I, so what I was thinking was that I'm going to beat Mass Effect 1, and then I'll take a break, play something else in between. I've already downloaded Control, uh, as well as Play Dead's Inside, so those two games will be next on my list, and then I'll probably return to Mass Effect 2. I need a bit of a palate cleanser, uh, so I may need to do one of the small indie titles first before I do another big game like Mass Effect. Uh, and finally, the newest game on my list that I have played is Vampire Survivors. Again, I downloaded this game because I heard so many people talking about it, and then I heard it became free on, on mobile devices, so I downloaded it, and I gotta say, this this game is fun. It is more fun than I than I thought I was going to give it credit for. I didn't think I was going to get it, but then when I finally beat the first level, and I, I surpassed 20, 25 minutes, and then I had hordes and hordes of enemies coming at me, and I had all these abilities, Garlic being the best, by the way. I think Garlic is the best ability. I, it was a lot of fun, and I will continue to return to this if I'm ever sort of in the passenger seat of my car, or if I'm sitting at uh, you know at break at at work or something like that. I'll play about ten fifteen minutes or as much as I can get out of it. It's there's those short bursts of like missions that you can play sort of while traveling or while you're walking or well maybe not while you're walking if you're going to walk into the street probably don't do that. But it's those short bursts of like doing those missions and unlocking it and. So far, there's no real paywalls aside from whatever coins that you can use to unlock things within the game. But it's sort of it it looks as if there should be like a microtransactions within the game, but so far I haven't seen that yet. I haven't been pushed to I you know, there have been times where it's like, okay, you just watch an ad. You can watch an ad to get more coins, and I'm like, all right, fine. I want more I always choose to watch the ads because I'm like, whatever. It's more coins is more coins. I can use those coins to buy other, other things. So yeah, maybe it is microtransaction-y to an extent, but it's like, it's not like, you know, lethal or it's not like illegal microtransactions or manipulative, you know, I'm not gambling anything. So I'm having a lot of fun with Vampire Survivor. I will continue to play it, but it is of the four games that are on my list, the newest one. It came out, uh, I believe at the tail end of 2022, I think October sometime. Uh, moving on, I have a couple of games from, or a couple of games, a couple of movies that I want to talk about. Uh, first off, I watched a movie called Men over on Amazon TV. And this is sort of a British folk horror film that stars Jesse Buckley, uh, who's known from, I'm thinking of Ending Things, who is a, a widowed woman who travels on a holiday to a countryside village, but then becomes disturbed and tormented by all the strange men in the village who all basically have the same face. They all look like Rory Kinnear, the actor. Well, the ki Roy Kinnear plays like the men in the village essentially, but they're all are kind of creepy, and they're all, I guess, the same person or demon, date like entity individual. Of course, this is an A twenty four film, so it's got that sort of like strong indie horror vibe, much like an Ari Aster 
uh, film. And it is very, very deeply disturbing. <laughs> you know, I was not expecting the ending to be as gruesome as it was, and that's all I'm going to say. But it's worth the watch. I, I thought it was an enjoyable film, and it was tense. It was spooky. Oh, but but the ending, you just got to be, you got to brace yourself for that ending. It, it definitely, it caught me off guard. And I sat there for like 10 minutes going like, is this going to end? Like, can we stop this, please? And... And then the film ends and I'm like, all right, cool. That was an experience. So uh, probably not going to be on my top 10 list of the year. Who knows? It's still early on, but we want to move along because another film that I actually watched a couple weeks back, uh, I can't remember if this was pre or post New Year's. It might've been pre New Year's was Black Panther Wakanda Forever. This was my first Marvel film in a long time that I've actually seen in the theater since Spider-Man No Way Home, actually. And I'm, I'm so glad that I got to see this in the theater. This was probably one of the better films of Phase 4. Actually, I think I made a list for Save the Game Media's... Um, what the hell is that show? Frame by Frame. I, I should know it. I guessed it on it a while back. So I made a list for them of my favorite films of Phase 4 um, because they were asking the community what their favorite films were. And I think this was my number th- my number two or number... Oh, no, this was my number three, I believe. Because I think I had Spider-Man and Shang-Chi ahead of it. So yes, definitely a better film than Thor Love and Thunder. Definitely better than like Black Widow. A pretty solid sequel overall. I thought that like with what they had to work with, I thought that they paid homage to Chadwick Boseman very well in this film. It was very hard for Letitia Wright to kind of carry the reins of that uh, role. But I thought it was an interesting take on her character to sort of lean into the revenge side a lot more than you would think with her character. And there's, I don't want to go into any spoilers if you haven't seen the film, but you know, her road to be eventually becoming the black Panther is sort of troubled. And then even into like when she gets the costume and when she starts the battle as the black Panther, she's going into it in a completely different way that Chadwick Boseman was, but it all kind of works itself out in the end. It's a, it's a Marvel film. It is planting the seeds for future stories as well. You know, with Namor being introduced as an anti-hero, the villain of the film, but eventually the sort of anti-hero. Uh, some people were making the comparison of like Batman V Superman, which I think that's kind of a stretch. I could see where they're making the comparison there because the ending was kind of like, all right, well it happened, you know, they fought and now they're okay. But you know, there's now potential for Namor to return whether it be in his own solo film, if if Universal does relinquish the rights to the character to allow Marvel to do it. But they, they did confirm that Namor is a mutant. And in fact, the first mutant technically to exist within this universe because he was born plenty of years before Miss Marvel was. As well, you know, we've got the new Black Panther. We've also got the Midnight Angels. Now that's going to be developed as a series by Ryan Coogler for Disney+, Plus. that they were introduced within this film. Ironheart was introduced within this film as well. And then we also found out that Valentina, who was a character that was introduced in Black Widow as well as Falcon and the Winter Soldier, popped up again. So I think there's connections to Thunderbolts there. And finally, Everett Ross, played by Martin Freeman, who is going to be appearing in Secret Invasion uh, sometime in the spring. Uh, We see sort of the start of what happens to his character and how it's going to lead into that series. So this movie definitely planted the seeds for a number of stories that are going to be branching off into Phase 5. And so it's going to be a pretty busy Phase 5. And I think this was a great film to end off on. We are about a month 
in a little bit, a month and some change out from Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is set to be the biggest film that is going to lead us into eventually this Kang dynasty, which is going to be coming in phase six. But I think Ant-Man kicking off phase five is, it is such a, he's in such a pivotal moment for this position because Ant-Man was sort of a lesser known character, much like the Guardians were. We're seeing how Ant-Man is taking on a more serious role within the MCU. Trailers seem to be hinting at the fact that he may not make it out of the alive, but I have every belief that I think he will in some way, whether it be his original or a variant of him will survive. It's the multiverse. You can never truly die at this point. I also watched The Menu uh, on Disney+. Plus. I did not watch a single trailer for this film uh, because I had heard that this was some sort of like cannibal murder story or something. And then I watched it and it was sort of this slow burn, like black comedy horror film uh, that starred, starred Ralph Fiennes as this uh, cook on this recluse island where it brings in a bunch of sort of socialite individuals and people who like love this guy's cooking. But they're all sort of high-end fancy individuals and they come to dine at his special island uh, restaurant where the menu, uh, each item on the menu becomes more grotesque and more disturbing as time goes on. I thought it was a really cool film. <laughs> it's uh, kind of a obscure ending a weird ending that leaves you wondering like okay so is that it but i think that the film is definitely a one and done for sure i thought it was a cool story that they told who knows so far i think of the films that i've watched this year it's one of the stronger contenders compared to this last one on the list i think that that's a, probably an easy victory so <laughs> i was able to catch black adam finally i watched it on crave i didn't watch it in the theater and it's, it's funny watching this now, knowing the state of the DCEU moving forward. This film did come out, I believe, when we, when we found out that Disney was, or DCEU was basically crashing and that there were characters that like definitely weren't coming back. You know, we saw a cameo from Henry Cavill as Superman uh, in the post credit scene, which led you to believe that Henry Cavill was going to be back as Superman until they actually decided not to bring him back. So that was kind of awkward. So he did the film. He did the character. He did a, an iteration of the character I wasn't expecting that was sort of an anti-hero, but still kind of an asshole. I thought the Justice Society of America uh, were kind of a fun bunch. You know, obviously Hawkman and and Dr. Fate were standouts. Uh, I thought that they were well cast and well well executed characters. Side characters were a little less interesting, including Adriana Tamaz, who was played by Sarah Shadi. Like she was sort of like her character was sort of this like archaeologist style character and she had a son who was like obsessed with superheroes and they were sort of the heart and soul of this film and the the more human centric characters this film had some major references to Shazam in the fact that the actual original wizard came back to kind of grant him the powers but the, there was no official connection to the current day Shazam character if we're led to believe that Black Adam takes place around the same time as Shazam, then we know that there's two wizards kind of existing. Uh, but Black Adam seems to be restricted to, to uh, Kondok, which is like this recluse sort of desert island that has been torn apart by war. And there's a lot of crime and they have been without a protector. And I guess he now feels that as a say who is now a god, I guess, that he will vouch to protect them, regardless of whether it's going to be like a protecting them as like a good guy or having to kill people as a bad guy. The film is okay. 
if I had to give it a review, I'd say it was like a three out of five. It was above average. It was a fun film to watch, fun characters to explore on the film, but it was kind of predictable by the end. And it had all the veins of a traditional superhero flick, but with like a less interesting protagonist, you know what I mean? Because The Rock is sort of a one-trick pony when it comes to his acting ability, unfortunately. Finally, I want to quickly go over television shows, and then I can finally, finally, 30 minutes into the show, get into our questions. Like, holy crap. I don't... So this is going to be a, a large episode, clearly. Quickly, I'm going to go over the fact that I, I finished Dahmer, the Jeffrey Dahmer series. Did not like it. The first two episodes were really good, but then the series just started to trail off by the end, and I just I lost interest. In fact, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to finish it, uh, and I did. I, I forced myself through to the end, but I got to say, this was not this was not one of my favorites of the, the year. Very slow burn, and not in the best way, honestly. Kind of uncomfortable to watch, but I think that was the premise. It's one of those things that you either like it or averagely like it, enough to finish it or you really didn't like it but i guess it's a good thing that i didn't watch like the conversations with a killer jeffrey dahmer before i watched this because then i would have realized that like oh yeah they just you know they just romanticized jeffrey dahmer as this sort of likable dude but he wasn't really likable he was kind of kind of a dick in comparison to say zach efron's uh, iteration of ted bundy they're completely different portrayals and at least like Zach Efron's portrayal was like somewhat charming. This version of uh, Evan Peters' Jeffrey Dahmer was, you know, creepy. But that, I think that was part of his, uh, it's the facet of him as a person and character, uh, is that Ted Bundy did have charm, and yet he had this, he was able to mask this serial killer lifestyle so well. Uh, I did start the Harry and Meghan documentary, and that's only because I thought that it would be a lot more groundbreaking and a lot more interesting than what the media, news media seems to be talking about in terms of this Harry Meghan stuff that's been unfolding with A, the Netflix documentary that came out in December, but also Prince Harry's memoir, Spare, which has been revealing a lot of you know deep things that we didn't know about the royal family as well as Prince Harry and Meghan. I got about two episodes in and I dropped off. I might return to it since it's only six episodes, but I think maybe now is not the right time for me to watch this. Um, it just was not that interesting. I think it will pick up, but I was just kind of bored. And so I dropped off of it. I also started watching Too Hot to Handle season four. Uh, again, hot people on an island who are completely oblivious to the fact that they are on Too Hot to Handle, which I think is kind of stupid. But it's like your replacement bachelor with a little more, you know, NC-17 stuff because it's Netflix. I, I will probably return to watch it. I have to force myself to because I'm kind of obsessed with my PlayStation again for the first time in a long time. So we'll see. But I am happy that BattleBots is back on TV again for the new season. So watching BattleBots again. And finally, I think my favorite off of this list that I am very excited I was able to end the year off with. Did not make my top uh, three, obviously, because I, I put, made my list at the beginning of December. But The White Lotus Season 2. This, okay, so White Lotus is, if you haven't watched it, I, I definitely recommend you do. It's on Crave. It's on HBO Max. It is a strange series. So it, it presents itself as this sort of black comedy drama that's an anthology series centered around these White Lotus um, resort hotels. Uh, and the characters that, again, much like the menu, it's these sort of like high-end socialite characters that sort of come to this island and they're all perfect. They're all like shiny and new and 
Yet slowly over time, them just kind of experiencing life on the resort and being around each other, they start to unravel and deep, dark secrets about some of these characters comes out and we see them in sort of negative lights. Uh, there were themes that were sort of sort of addressed between season one and two. And, and the theme of season two seemed to, you know, revolve highly around sex. There was a lot of sex in, in The White Lotus season two. And there was a lot of teases about sex. And there was a lot of thinking about sex and cheating and, and all that stuff. People who have deep, dark desires, like, for example... Uh, one character who uh, hired a prostitute and had a, a sex addiction and was the reason why his marriage has ended. And then there was a character that was returning from the first season, um, which is Jennifer Coolidge's character, who I guess must be like a a prime member of the White Lotus because she seems to be bouncing around different resorts and just enjoying her time, returns in this season and is a lot more on edge than she was in the first season. She definitely has deals with a lot of mental health deals with loneliness, deals with depression, deals with anxiety, deals with all that stuff. And her character was, her arc was very interesting. And to watch her story unfold in this season as well was fun to watch. But I had a lot more fun with season two than I did with season one, so much so that I'm going to stick to it and watch season three, which it did get renewed for season three, uh, when it debuts probably sometime this year, next, maybe next year. Uh, but it is a series that I'm, I'm, invested in and i will continue to watch it all right guys so now it's time for the official q a section of this special 100th episode and so again like i said i want to thank everybody who sent in questions across all the different platforms including discord instagram twitter uh and i pulled together almost 10 questions almost not quite some from people i know like i said the first couple of questions actually i got three of them from my wife today so I want to get those out of the way because I feel like, you know, she takes precedent in my life. I'm not going to tell you her handle, but my wife sent me these questions on Instagram. First one was, when did you know that you loved writing? My first experience with writing was actually when I was about eight years old. The first, I mean, I had been a huge fan of the Goosebumps books growing up in the 90s. So I've always loved reading. And I think, you know, if you love reading, you love writing. So, I mean... I guess you can love writing without reading, but I feel like most people who like writing were fans of reading. Otherwise, you know, they probably wouldn't like school or essays that much. So I read a lot of Goosebumps books, I, and then eventually I shifted into Harry Potter, grade three, and probably soon after write, uh, finishing Harry Potter, and it was called The Sorcerer's Stone here in Canada, but it's actually The Philosopher's Stone, I wrote my very first short story, uh, and it was probably like... 11 or 12 pages long. I don't remember. Um, and it was like a horror story because I, I read a lot of goosebumps. I read a lot of horror. And so I was writing, I wrote a short story, probably wasn't very good. I kind of wish I kept it. If I had known that I was going to be writing to this day, I would have kept that story. But it's funny, me and my brother have always been creatives, but we went in completely different directions. So my brother is like an art major, essentially. He went into like drawing and illustration and I went into writing. So you would have thought at some point that the two of us would have collaborated on some sort of graphic novel, but we've never done that because he's sort of off doing his own busy work. He's got his own stories that he's telling on on across Reddit, on Instagram, and in his own space. So he's doing his own thing, and I'm kind of doing my own thing here. But that's where I sort of knew that I loved writing. And that kind of ties into the next question. So I'm tying this with my cousin sent me an, uh, a similar question actually, which was what makes you want to be a writer? Is it like a creative outlet? So he asked me this on Instagram. I guess 
that yes so that in a way writing does act as a, a sort of creative outlet much like podcasting does you know writing when say you're writing a short story it's your words it's your th- thoughts onto paper it's your ideas onto paper then it comes to life in some way so in a way it is an outlet right um it's like people who write a diary <clears throat> or write down their thoughts there's a lot of power in writing the, that that stuff out uh, and getting it onto paper because it, you are in control of that and every word that you put down on the page is something that you thought of and your brain has transferred that thought to your hand somehow or brain to mouth or brain to hand to write it out and it is an outlet of some kind and in the best way when you can sort of use that to tell creative stories as i have in the past where i've written a lot of stories like i've written a ton of stuff that's been short stories i've written poems i've written uh long form pieces i've written blogs i've written news articles um for various websites and stuff like that and i do it because i love it and i enjoy it Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. I don't. I I regretfully say that I obviously don't write as much as I would love to for myself. You know, most of my writing now is for work. But I mean, it is a writing job. I am getting paid to do the thing that I love to do, which not a lot of people can say that they do. And it's a wonderful feeling. And it's honestly something that, up until the, if you would ask me about this this time last year where I was in a completely different position, I would have said that's the one thing I wish I was I would be doing. And I'm doing it now. So I'm very happy to be doing it. Uh, my wife, going back to my wife and her next two questions. When did you know that you were in love with your wife? I don't know if she's ever going to listen to this episode, but I will answer her question anyway. The, the moment that I knew I was in love with her was I think the first time I watched her dancing, line dancing. You know, we kind of had a, a bit of an ex- obscure first date. I was not much of a club person, very much an introvert, very much like if I'm going to hang out, it'll be with my friends in the parking lot at at Tim Hortons or at somebody's house. She invited me out to this line dancing bar. And the first time I I walked in, I was taken aback by how everybody was moving in rhythm. It felt like I was in like the movie Footloose and everybody was dancing in, in sync. And it was crazy. I literally, my jaw was on the floor and my wife actually with two of her friends walked right past me and didn't even realize I was there. Uh, because my wife and I, we actually met through an online dating service. That was our first date was there. Uh, and then when she realized that it was me, turned around, you know, swept me up and I met all of her friends that weekend. It was pretty overwhelming. I ended up learning a couple of line dances. We ended up dancing on the dance floor. But all those quiet moments where I was kind of sitting back and watching her do the moves and the smiles on her face and the joy that it brought her and the confidence that she exuberated through doing it, that is when I knew that I had fallen in love. And I mean, I fall in love with her every single day and I married her and I think she brings out, she brings out the best in me. She challenges me to be a a better person. She accepts me at my work. She, she works with me at my worst, accepts me at my worst, loves me at my best. We've made a beautiful son together, Finn. Uh, We've been together since 2014. So it's coming on 10 years next year, actually. I don't know where I would be without her. I would be in a completely different place, probably still alone, maybe living on my own, maybe living at home. I have no idea. I definitely wouldn't be here where I am right now. That's for sure. Things would have definitely gone very differently. But I think if I hadn't met her, I would not be as as social, as outgoing as I am now, which is kind of funny because I did say a while back that I have to work on my communication skills. 
I'm just saying I have more friends now that with my with my wife than I did before when I was single. So I meet new people with her. She she introduced me to a whole new group of people I would have never associated with. So that's cool too. And finally, uh, the last question she asked me was, where do you want to be in five years? That is a pretty broad question. It's like an interview question. So I appreciate that she put it down there. Obviously, in five years, I want to have my own place with her. I, I want us to be able to buy our own place, possibly have our, our second child or work towards having our second child at that point. I don't know. Professionally wise, maybe advancing within my career, hopefully still working for the same company, but advancing within my career. Uh, I would also say in the field of content creation, hopefully expanded or built upon my horizons and achieved a lot of my goals. Most likely have surpassed episode 200 by that point too. So I may may well uh, surpass those goals, but we'll see. We'll see. I do want to move on now to... uh, the next couple of questions. These ones are, are more general questions. Uh, this one comes from at Martinez mostly, otherwise known as mostly Martinez on Discord. But it's um, this. He came to me on Twitter, uh, and and he has his own podcast too. As you go check him out, I think he does a Star Wars podcast. He asked me, "What do you know now that you wish you knew at Episode One when it comes to podcasting or content creation?" I got to say, I think this this question when it came in was what inspired me to go back and listen to Episode One. I think the thing that I wish that I knew, and I might have I might have learned it early on, especially when I was sort of integrating and, and building connections with people who had different shows, was not to worry so much about the numbers and just to continue producing content. Don't worry about, I mean, worry to a point about the quality, obviously, um, but just show up and just continue to produce a show. You know, and if you're proud of it, other people will want to jump on and they'll want to listen and they'll want to support you. And I think the fact that I've had people come up to me and ask me if I'm going to continue to do more shows, what am I going to talk about? What's my show? What's my show about people who want to know about my show, people who listen to my show. And then there's the people who say, I want to be a guest on your show. These are like areas that, you know, these are what continue to push me to want to do this for a lot longer. I don't necessarily foresee myself doing this as a full-time job. But again, going back to my wife's question about where do you want to be in five years, you know, I have a rough idea of where I would want to see myself go with content creation and podcasting that I don't really want to share because it's one of those things that sometimes when I kind of say too much, it almost sort of negates it from ever happening. I found that usually happened a lot with what I did on YouTube. And whenever I kind of spoke too much about certain projects and eventually it was just like, well, what's the point of even making it now? I've already talked about it to death. So I'll leave that to myself. Um, at SciJester99, aka Alex, if you guys don't follow Alex, he uh, has his his stream over on Twitch, at SciJester99, go follow him. He asked me this question on Twitter. He said, what do you think of the new info coming out from James Cameron about Avatar 3? And do you think it's getting a little overhyped? Of course, I think it's getting a little overhyped. It's it's Avatar. It's James Cameron. But the thing is, Avatar is one of those films that it's best seen in the theater. It is not a film that's that's really a necessary rewatch on like a DVD, VHS, or whatever the heck you absorb your content through. I think VHS is long gone. I should probably not make that reference. It's one of those films that when you watch it for the first time, you want to watch it in the theater. That's the way it was intended to be watched. And James Cameron has talked... He's talked highly about how streaming services have to end, ironically, while his first Avatar film lives on Disney+, Plus, right? It's a, it is a Disney-owned property now, so he's got to really watch what he's saying. 
but it's James Cameron. He's made the two. He's made two of the highest grossing films of all time. So, I guess he maybe he does have some leg to stand on when he comes to his opinions on streaming. It's been a while. I feel like maybe I have to rewatch Avatar to see if I actually really still enjoy it. But from what I remember, I watched it twice in the theater, and I liked it for the visual spectacle, not so much the story. It was a it was a groundbreaking film at the time, but I definitely think that the sequel and the subsequent sequels that will follow probably it's a little too little too late. But I had heard something about Avatar three, and this is probably what Alex is referencing, that it may deal with like the fire navi or something. And I think I made a joke on on Twitter a couple of days ago that suggested that like okay, so if the third film is going to be about the fire navi, we got the water references in the second film are we leading towards avatar the last airbender is this the actual takeover now that we're gonna get this is the official avatar last airbender takeover can't be a coincidence um at the muffin mon on discord this is kevin ainsworth by the way guys who's uh the head of save the game media project x talk i hate my friends save the game boy i guess frame by frame no limits Go listen to all those shows. Go find Save the Game Media anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Uh, they're on Twitter. They're on Discord. They're on YouTube. Go listen to all their shows. I've guessed it on Frame by Frame. Um, Kevin was the one that sort of set me up with that in a way. So he, I, I'm grateful for Kevin for being a constant listener and for meeting him through Carpool Gaming's community. And I love that he has also taken off with his own community as well. I think that's marvelous to see. And again, I, I look up to their crew. I think that it's amazing what they've been able to do. And the fact that they just continue to chug out content is amazing. But his question was fairly straightforward. And I appreciate it for the this, this, this simple question. It was, what is your favorite breakfast cereal? Now, this could be something that, depending on where you live, could vary. But if you guys who live in the States, I don't know if you're aware of Vector cereal. Um, but Vector is actually my favorite cereal. It has kind of dwindled in the past, but it was my favorite cereal growing up. And it's a high protein uh, cereal. It's very good. If I had to give like a backup, maybe like, I mean, I do like Lucky Charms, but like that's a little too sugary for me. I think I would just opt for like maybe Oatmeal Crisp, if anything, like that'd be my backup. Or even um, I like multigrain Cheerios too. Those would be like, but Vector's like Vector's top tier. That's probably my favorite cereal. Um, Alex Cozina. Uh, on Twitter. If you guys don't know who that is, that is Cozy Bear, formerly of Press YYZ. If you want to go check him out on Twitch, he streams occasionally. It's Cozy Bear Live. Uh, he asked me, what are your thoughts on the massively successful multimedia juggernaut that is the Bionicle universe? Buddy, Bionicle is a classic. Uh, clearly, he also grew up with the OG Bionicle up until the fact that Bionicle no longer exists. It's tried to come back, you know. I feel like there have been moments where it could definitely come back. But when Bionicle was in its high point, man, it, that was so much fun. I think I was in like grade, it was sometime between like grades five to eight and like even a little bit of grade nine that I was sort of in the heyday of Bionicle. And we collected every new iteration of Bionicle that came out, my brother and I. He would get three, I would get three, we would build them and we would set them up and they'd be on display. We'd play with them occasionally because we were still kids. We watched the movies too when they made those straight to DVD movies like Bionicle Mask of Light. My brother and I had that film memorized from front to back. We watched that film so much. It was hilarious. So, and we played the, um, there was like a Mata Nui like 
online Bionicle game. And then I think there was an Xbox 360 game that my brother had played as well that I might have dabbled in a little bit. That was a lot like the Lego games. So yeah, no, we were huge fans of, of Bionicle. And I, I still wish, much like they would remake Resident Evil Outbreak, for God's sakes, bring back Bionicle. But like Bionicle is such such a beloved Lego uh, staple that I, I don't understand why they haven't brought it back in a big way. Nostalgia is is like key these days. Everybody thrives on nostalgia and they live off of it and they, they wish for it. So in some way, shape or form, if they're doing this for the fans, maybe the fans will be enough to bring Bionicle out of the depths of hell. <laughs> so who knows? Finally, last one is not a question. It's actually a comment from a good friend uh, on Instagram, Natasha, who said, that she doesn't know what to ask, but she wants to show her support. The biggest way you can show support a, is by leaving messages like that. I will always appreciate a good message. And if you do send me a personal message, I will shout it out on the show. The best way to do that, if you're unsure, is to actually follow me on any of the podcasting platforms. This would include Apple, Google, you know, the one, all the ones I list at the end. But if you leave a review on something like Apple, like a, a five-star review, and you leave a written review, uh, I will personally shout you out on the show and read the review. I, I think that it goes a long way. That It means that you take your time out of your day to not only listen to the show, but to provide a review and provide your thoughts and let me know what you think. That's That means the world to me, and it, it shows that there are deep, dedicated people who are listening to the show, and I really appreciate it. That brings us to the end of the show, guys. We are an hour in. This is probably my longest solo show that I've ever done. I guess in a way, episode 100 turned out to be bigger than I was expecting. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and for sticking around as long as you have. I'm going to continue to produce content for as long as everybody is going to listen to it. And as long as I continue to enjoy it, I am expecting big things in 2023, but also for the future of the show. I love you guys. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for just believing in me and helping me to continue to believe in myself, even on those dark moments as I was recording the show when I didn't think I would be able to continue to do it or I just, my heart wasn't in it. And somehow I brought myself back. I would bring myself back and continue to do it because I knew somebody was listening. And I think it goes back to, you know, my cousin Nicholas's question early on about, is this like a creative outlet? This is. I think everybody needs a creative outlet, whether it be podcasting, whether it be writing, whether it be drawing, whether it be, I don't know, running a marathon, something that is outside of just a typical mundane nine to five job or taking care of the kids. You just need to do something for yourself, be it sports, be it entertainment, do something that you love and just follow it make it your passion and never never lose that you know what i mean like hold on to that and it'll make you happy that doing this show has certainly made me happy and you know I'm, I'm glad to continue to be here to do it so i look forward to the future i look forward to seeing where i can take the show and i hope you guys will stick stick around as i venture into the great unknown road to episode 200 baby <laughs> so first off you can head over to my blog wkey.wordpress.com where i occasionally will post feature-length articles news pieces opinions on anything i find interesting if you want to follow me on social media here are the places to do so i have 
Hive still. Haven't used it in a while. It's at William Outbreak. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, either the podcast Twitter account at Podcast Outbreak or my personal Twitter account at Will Key. You guys can follow me on TikTok as well as Redbubble. Search William Outbreak. Either of those platforms, you'll be able to find me. If you want to drop a review, as I mentioned, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your favorite show. We are on Anchor.fm. You can find us at Anchor.fm backslash The Outbreak Podcast. But we can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Listen Notes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music Plus Audible, and TuneIn Plus Alexa. Thank you for making this episode incredibly special. And have yourselves a great night. And we'll see you next week, I guess. The next time we record... On the road to 200, baby.